Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Edge of Comfort podcast, where you get a look into the adventures, perspectives, and discoveries of world travelers while also exploring questions and lessons from life on the road, all to help you navigate your own path. I am your host, Lee Thornquist, and thank you for listening. Now, before we hop into the guest we have on today, I just want to share a quick technical bit. Um, I recently switched hosting providers for the podcast. Now, this should not have any effect for you or how you listen, but you might need to be uh, required to resubscribe. Um, so next time you go to listen, or if you're listening now in, the, in iTunes or whatever, just check you're still subscribed. If not, just click the button again and you'll be all good. Um, and not only can you now listen to the podcast on edgeofcomfort.com or Apple Podcasts, but it's now available on other platforms like Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and some more to come in the next few days. But enough about that. Who do we have on the show today? Well, today we are joined by Jason Patrick Irish, who is essentially a professional backpacker. He is a global yes man and a world explorer who creates his own opportunities, which has allowed him to visit 119 countries and counting. After graduation from university in 2009, Jason applied to a few odd jobs all throughout the world. One of these jobs was teaching English in South Korea, which he received an offer from and accepted. So teaching English in South Korea, which was originally only supposed to be a year, he built up sufficient funds to begin traveling. He departed on his journey and pretty much went until the money ran out, which then brought him back to South Korea to teach some more. Having fallen in love with both teaching and backpacking, he continued this process a few times and has now visited, like I said, 119 countries and counting. This includes every country in Europe but one, the Mount Everest base camp in Nepal, brought him to live with an Amazonian tribe for a week in a place that we really can't even locate on a map, um, some small countries you've likely never heard of, and many more exciting places. Now, without spoiling too much of the conversation, some of the other things we discuss include why even travel so much? You know, where does the desire to travel like this come from? And uh, some of his inspiration for doing this. Some of the troubles he has and other travelers have with relating to friends and family back at home. The experience of reverse culture shock and feeling like a foreigner in both America and South Korea. Why is there no gap year in America? A question I've been pondering for quite some time now. Um, how an act of generosity from some strangers completely transformed his life and likely saved his love for backpacking. And finally, having past perceptions or biases shattered by getting off the couch and experiencing things for yourself, among many other exciting topics. Now, the conversation does mostly focus on his personal experiences and insights with a few of the typical stock-like questions uh, mixed in throughout and towards the end. 
So remember to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Please share this with your friends or other travelers who might enjoy. And if you want to access the full show notes and links to some things we reference, these can be found on the blog post at edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP11. That's 1111, the, the number 11. edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP11. So thank you, Jason, for sharing so much with us. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy, and let's go. Good morning. What's all the commotion? Wow. Are banana fish big? Same, same, but different. If I can't scuba, then what's this all been about? Welcome to the Edge of Comfort podcast with your host, Lee Thornquist. So, welcome, Jason, to the podcast. Uh, Glad to have you on here today. Uh, How is everything going in Florida? I know you've had a little bit of a rough day today. But still sunny and beautiful and not snowing, so (laughs) can't complain. So you're from New York, right? So you were just spending a few days there over the holidays? Yeah, yep. Uh, Niagara Falls, New York. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Are you a Buffalo Bills fan then? Go Bills! Next (laughs) season. Yeah. Well, you guys actually made the playoffs this year, though, didn't you? First time in 18 years, I think. Wow. That's uh, pretty impressive. I'm a Bears fan, so it's been a rough few years for us as well. Yep. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, man, I was actually, when uh, Ryoji made the connection for us, um, he's like, oh, yeah, I know a guy who's been to 119 countries. You should talk to him. I was like legitimately nervous to to talk with you because I didn't even know where to begin. Um, like 119 countries—that's absolutely nuts. And like, I, yeah, I honestly didn't know even where to begin with that. Um, but I guess one of the one of the things that stood out when I was just kind of scrolling through some of your stuff was: were you intentionally bitten by a piranha a few years ago? Uh, yeah, um, figured when in Rome or when in the Amazon, give everything a try. So we went fishing, and, uh, I was the smartass that let them bite my leg with a piranha. So they just, like, catch piranhas and offered to have it bite you just for fun? Like, well, I, I, yeah, I was just, we were drunk college kids, and I was like, yeah, let's try it. And sure enough, the guy was like... Are you sure? I was like, yeah, why not? And uh, so, yeah, we took some amateur footage there of that video, and I got bit by a piranha. <laughs> That's definitely something that, uh, a unique experience. <laughs> yeah. Did it, like, what did I, it feel like? Was it just, can you even compare it to anything, or? No, nah, I mean, it clamped on there pretty well, and after they removed it, maybe 
like 10, 20 seconds later, finally the blood started coming out because they're such fine little teeth holes. Um, it was it was a stupid thing, but um, no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you got back to the United States after you said you were away for five years and you just spent your first Christmas back at home in five years. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I usually go home every two years or so, but not for the holidays. So I was home maybe two and a half years ago um, last time, but not for any holiday or anything. Okay. So first time home in two and a half years. Yep. Yep. First time back in the States. So are you, have you been traveling that whole time or do you, are you like living in another country doing some work or like having a home base somewhere else? Uh, home base is South Korea. I've been living there for five years, on and off, as an English teacher. So that's been my my piggy bank and my travel home. Okay, got it. So teaching English, I know that's kind of a a popular thing among many travelers. Um, I actually have a cousin who has been teaching English in China for the last five years as well. Um, but I guess, why did you decide to go that route and, and do the English teaching? And I guess, do you, is there like a specific reason why you feel like a lot of people do choose that over other things? Um, for me, it was just uh, a couple weeks before graduation, and I was one of the only people I knew that didn't have a PhD program, master's program, internship lined up. So... Me and my best mates went to the bar with our computers and applied for some ridiculous jobs around the world, like teaching English, crab fishing in Alaska, park ranger in Yellowstone, just all these ridiculous jobs. Um, And sure enough, Korea called me back and offered me a job straight away. So I was originally going to go to Turkmenistan with the Peace Corps, but then I found out, hey, I can make money and travel the world. So English teaching it was. And you've been in South Korea since, or as your home base? Yep, five five total years. Okay. What's, uh, what part of South Korea are you in most of the time? Uh, Daegu. Okay. Right in the, right, right in the middle of the country. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's big, it's the third biggest city in Korea, but okay. nobody knows about it, unless you live in Korea. Got it. Has, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but... I gotta ask it. Has it been weird at all with, like, North Korea at all lately? Or since you lived there, is it just, like, same old, same old, and nothing really changes? Same old, same old, nothing changes. Go about our daily lives. We don't care about it. Um, yes, it's glorified in Western media, but it's nothing's happening. Okay. Sounds, sounds about accurate. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure being American, um, people ask you about Trump all the time. And it's just kind of like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, the number one question, oh, did you vote for Trump? Ah, I didn't actually vote. I wasn't even in the country. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how, uh, like, as soon as you say you're from somewhere, people just kind of fall back on what they know, which is usually something from the media. And it's something mm-hmm. that really in our day-to-day lives is just, like, not that big of an th- issue or you know you don't really think about how much it affects you it's just kind of like oh yeah that's just kind of how it is there yep exactly yeah 
So, have you been doing a lot of this traveling solo? I, it looks like your last kind of big adventure was the Silk Road. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, are you doing um, a lot of this solo or with friends or just meeting up with people along the way? Um, I would say probably like 80% solo and then... You know, I've been just traveling and visiting friends in different places. Like, that's why I'm here in Florida right now, just visiting friends. And, you know, you're never solo. You're always with people. There's always other backpackers in the hostels and whatnot. So, yeah. Okay, got it. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, to talk about your accommodation a little bit. So, you've obviously been able to, to fund this with your, your teaching in Korea. So, when you're out in traveling for months at a time are you mostly staying in hostels or doing couch surfing or a mix of different things uh a mix uh typically just hostels but i do do some couch surfing as well or stay with friends that i've either hosted in korea or met traveling abroad so it's uh usually hostels but a nice mix to stay with friends sometimes couch surfers sometimes where is one of the strangest places you've slept for a night, whether that's uh, like certain type of house or just a totally unique, weird bed? Like, for example, over Christmas, I was in Bali and slept in a treehouse. Um, anything crazy or kind of weird like that that you've stayed in? No, but in Bali earlier this year, I slept with two homeless people on the streets. Um, they protected me overnight and slept on the doorsteps of a bank. Um, but <laughs> Was that voluntary, or were you just, like, drunk and passed that was, out? <laughs> that was voluntary. I didn't feel like paying for a place for just a couple hours overnight, so I found some nice homeless people, had some beers, and slept on the porch with them. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Uh, another another weird one, I actually was with my friend who I'm staying with now a couple years ago. We went through Atlanta and did an Airbnb, and it was an emu farm. Um, the guy just left, gave a warning. He said, be careful for Fred. He might attack. I was like, what's, the, what's a Fred? He, he just had emus walking around his yard. It was pretty bizarre. That, that's definitely very bizarre. An emu farm, wow. Um so have you uh, done all your work in South Korea, or have you done any work in other countries along the way, or like volunteering or a work away type thing? Um, I've volunteered, uh, I lived in Tanzania for a summer, volunteering at an orphanage and teaching at a school there. Um, when I was in Peru, I was on my way to Machu Picchu, but found a little school to volunteer in for a few weeks. Um, India, I was meant to do a trip across all of India, but ended up volunteering and staying there the entire time, uh, working with uh, mentally, physically disabled street kids. Um, so just volunteer work. I've not worked anywhere else. Okay. So what, um, I guess, what are like some of the main things you've learned from that? I mean, those are such unique volunteering opportunities and, yeah, I guess something that not a lot of people have a chance to do in their lifetime or make the effort to do. Um, I guess what was kind of, how did you feel going through that and, and some of the things you learned? I mean, for example, India, I was in Calcutta, the poorest city in one of the poorest countries, and I got to see the poorest people, the lowest 
the lowest of low and definitely huge eye opener about how bad things really can be. Uh, so being able to see that and experience that is just unforgettable. There's no other experience like it. What was like the day to day life for the people there? Uh, the kids I was working with were completely reliant on us for you know feeding them, bathing them, everything because a lot of them had cerebral palsy or other debilitating diseases. So um, yeah, just taking care of absolutely everything for them. Do they usually have volunteers like most of the year? Do you know, or is it just kind of as people come? The place that we went to, I met another English teacher from Japan, uh, from the United States, but teaching in Japan. And they sent us, it was through Mother Teresa's missions. And we were the first foreign volunteers ever to be sent there because it was about a two-hour commute outside the city to a pretty shady area. So that was an adventure in itself, just being in this really poor neighborhood in the outskirts of Calcutta, seeing the worst of the worst. Did you guys stay, like, in with families there, or um, were you just, like, uh, in school? Or No, I stayed. We, we commuted every day back and oh, forth. those and two I hours? Yep, yeah, two hours oh, there, wow. two hours back. Um, but... It was where there was nowhere to stay at the facility, so we just stayed at a guest house in the downtown. Okay. Do you usually just try to do those as they come, or do you have any like inner calling to go help out in areas like that? Um. Originally, the first time I ever did it was when I stupidly paid to go volunteer in Tanzania. And I quickly learned that there's no reason anybody should ever pay to volunteer. There's so many people in the world that need help. So I just, when I come across it, I come across it and I'll stay and do what I can. But I don't go searching for it, just see what falls into place. Okay. So wait, how did you end up paying for this first one? Why did you have to pay? Um, it, it, was just, it was a summer volunteer program and it was supposed to be I was younger and I think it was more comfortable for my parents to know that I have you know they're sending their baby to Africa for the summer to have an organization there to pick me up and take me to the work locations and just to have everything arranged because again I'd never been to Africa I'd never traveled alone that was my first big out there alone trip um, with with the alone trip, and that's your first big one. Do you remember um, kind of what you were thinking at the time about doing that extreme of a trip, um, or just thoughts you were having, and maybe any fears or uh, just general thoughts um, about life at that time? Yeah, it was just it was a spur of the moment thing. I took out a student loan, called my parents, told them I needed a ride to the airport they thought it was a joke and i was like oh no i'm quite serious mom i'm going to africa for the summer she's like oh okay um and i mean it was a great way to just dive headfirst into the travel lifestyle going straight to kilimanjaro airport and having your baggage lost and nobody there to pick you up and you have to figure everything out on the spot <laughs> and it was an amazing learning experience for sure 
do you have any idea like where uh, your desire to, to do something like that came from or to just travel so extensively? I don't know. I guess when I was younger, my parents always did their best to try to take us on little family vacations and things. And during university, my second year, I think, I did a study abroad to Costa Rica and Panama, and I was sold. I was like, travel is my life. <laughs> okay. And I've never stopped, never stopped since. <laughs> yeah, so, what, so you've literally been traveling since graduation of university? Yeah, 2009. Oh my gosh. That's quite a long, long period of time. So... It was supposed to be a gap year, but it turned into a gap life. So, <laughs> as it happens. A gap life. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, so, yeah, so 119 countries so far, you say, in more or more to come. So, is your goal to hit every country on the planet, or... Is it just kind of as they come? You know, do you have any set timeline you're trying to do all these countries before? Or is it just kind of, oh, I'd want to see the world, and when I get there, I get there? Yeah, I want to see the world. When I get there, I get there. Like, some places, obviously, you just can't go um, for safety and whatnot, or visas. And so I'm just trying to, like, for example, I've been to every country in Europe, except for Belarus, because I didn't want to pay... Four hundred and fifty dollars for a visa. So Ooh. the only country I haven't been, Belarus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, are there any countries other than that one that, in the next few years, you really have no desire to visit? Um. No, I'm pretty. I'm interested. I mean, they've changed their visa policy as well, so I'm looking to go there maybe next month. But, <laughs> um, some countries, yeah, just. For me, no country is worth paying that much money. Like, even for example, to go to North Korea, I know a few people that have done those trips, but I'm not really interested to pay $2,000 to their government to see whatever they want you to see and not even see the country or the people. Yeah. um, So, did I think I actually saw something on your Facebook. Did you go to the DMZ a few years back, probably before it was so expensive? Uh, well, you, the DMZ trips, people do it every day. I mean, I've been there four times myself, and that's completely safe and touristic, and, I mean, yeah, busloads go every day. Okay. So to actually get into the country, you have to pay that steep visa fee? Yeah, to to get into the country, you have to fly via Beijing, and they have two security guards with you at all times, making sure you don't talk to anyone or take any photos or do anything inappropriate. And so it's basically like a prison tour, <laughs> Jeez, from I, what I've heard and understand. Yeah, I, I'm. Can Americans even do that now? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah, no, they still can. I mean, you pay a lot of money, and you have to go through a special visa process through Beijing only. But um, I have a few friends that have done this just within the last year. Okay, got it. Um, Okay, so back to visiting all the countries. Um, Do you remember, like, a a distinct moment? Um, Maybe it was when you were abroad, but 
for that first time in Costa Rica, but that you were like, yeah, I want to travel until I see all the countries, or did you just kind of start going, and then it just kind of kept going, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this? Yeah, it was kind of like a, a run forest run moment. I was <laughs> living in Korea, finished my year contract, and then I was going to go back home and start graduate school, but then I thought, well, hell, I'm all the way over here on the other side of the world, I might as well see more of it. And then... Well, from there, I ran out of money, had to go back to Korea another year, and then decided I wanted to travel more places, and it's just been cyclical. I can't can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so what, uh, is there anything that, like, keeps you going on a day-to-day -day basis? Is it, like, this kind of end goal, or you just have a extreme interest in, in visiting new places, you know? What's uh, yeah. keeping you motivated? It's just knowing that there's limit or like endless possibilities out there. Every day is a new experience. You see something new, eat something new, meet someone new, and I don't know. It's always nice to go home and visit with family and friends, but at the same time, don't really have anything to relate with them anymore because they haven't had these experiences and don't understand why I want these experiences. With relating to people back home you know when you've done these incredible things and and seen these places and cultures that you know you, you can't relate with them to or you can't relate them to um yeah i guess do you even try to like share with them or do you just share photos or i guess what's the that look like when you go back home and, and talk to your friends who have have obviously lived a little bit of a different life from you uh, it's usually just like, oh, we saw your pictures on Facebook from here and there. Looks nice. End of conversation. Or where are you going next? Or nothing nothing too specific. And usually just the typical, the same first question. Oh, you live in South Korea. Isn't it dangerous? <laughs> no, nope, it's one of the safest countries in the world. <laughs> Sa safer than home. <laughs> yeah, that's safety is definitely an interesting issue. Um abroad and, and from home, but is there, you know, you having been back home a few different times and each time having traveled a bit more, have you seen a bit of a progression with that or um, with like your friends back home or is it more of just like each time it's kind of similar thing where, yeah, you know, it's kind of same old story, oh, you saw those places, cool, like what's next or has it been more of a progression? Nah, same same banter every time I'm home, like, oh, yeah, it looks cool. Oh, I could never do that. Or, oh, how could you afford to do that? And always the same. Same stuff. Okay. Yeah, I mean, is there, I guess, because that's one of the things I'm uh, a little bit concerned about going back home. Um, I'm only doing a, a nine-month trip, which is still a decent time. I say only nine months, but... <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, for some people, they don't do nine days, so that's huge. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, so, like, have you found any ways to to help combat this a little bit, or is it just kind of the friends who are going to be interested will be interested, and beyond that, just not even worth Well, trying? I think there's just been a pretty, like, big shift in my, my friend repertoire, like, now I would say most of my friends are outside of the United States, people that I've met, other travelers that I've had these experiences with that I can relate with. I still have my good friends at home who 
kind of understand me, but for the most part, I would say the chunk of my friends are all international. Do you feel that uh, it's your, like, American identity is almost like kind of like you're maybe like a foreigner in both lands of South Korea and America now? Um, yeah, I would definitely say this. Um, even when I come home, usually like the first thing I do on the flight is watch as many movies as I can so I have something to talk about with people. And it's always like, oh, what? just talking about TV shows and things that I've never even heard of. And it's always a bit strange um, coming home and everything's kind of the same here at home. And... But I don't, don't really fit in, I guess. I don't know what the newest TV show is or what the newest trend is or, you know, that kind of stuff. What's one of the things that, when you were back living in the U.S. more consistently, that, like, day-to-day you maybe took for granted or, or didn't realize how normal it was to us or to Americans, and then after coming back home from two or three years of travel you saw and you're like whoa how did I do this every day or how did I just like totally think this was normal was there anything like that I mean even small obscure things like you're at a shopping mall or an airport and there's drinking fountains wow like some countries there's no drinking fountains and like little things like this that you really take for granted until you have been abroad like ooh sit-down toilets, ooh, hot water, um, lots of little things that you would never think of until you're out there. Do you have sort of a reverse culture shock each time you go back, or have you, obviously you say you watch movies every time you go back on the planes, um, but besides that, like, with the the culture of Americans and day-to-day interactions among people, and uh, do you feel any kind of reverse culture shock with that? A little bit, even because being in South Korea, I'm used to always saying thank you with a nod and a little bow, and even my mom was like, why are you bowing to me? Stop that. It's just like a natural thing when you say hello or goodbye or thank you with a a bow, and it's something, it's a habit that I have to try to break because people get creeped out when I'm bowing at them. (laughs) uh, But, yeah, it's a a little reverse culture shock for sure, even at home, my mom, the first day, she's like, why are you throwing the toilet paper in the wastebasket? And I was like, oh yeah, we flush here. We flush the <laughs> toilet paper. Like, just little little quirky things like this, and I'm just like, oh wow. Yeah, I need to reevaluate myself here and try to be a little more American. <laughs> is, uh, do, is it in South Korea, is it in the basket too, or do you, are you able to flush there? Oh, usually, usually flush. <laughs> okay. But, you know, backpacking, so many places, you know, old pipes, it's just, yeah, it becomes something you don't even think about, like, oh, why am I putting my toilet paper in a basket? Yeah, um, that's definitely one of the shocks, first time going to a, a country that doesn't have good plumbing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, your first first time with a squatter toilet is a <laughs> big travel moment right there for everybody. And For the, the bum yeah. gun. <laughs> Oh yeah, like when you don't even like, what do you do with this? It looks like a car wash, like inside the toilet. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so, what's one of the 
stranger cultural things you've witnessed, um, whether that's like just a little thing like throwing toilet paper in the wastebasket instead of flushing, or whether it's some larger thing like a tradition or ceremony that you've witnessed or been a part of? Mm. Trying to think. That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, there's so many things that I probably, first time traveler would be like, wow, that's really weird, but now it just all kind of seems normal to me. Um, like even uh, just two months ago, I was in Kyrgyzstan, and I was hitchhiking and a family picked me up and they brought me to a wedding in their hometown and it was quite interesting seeing all this wedding stuff like for example the, the bride she stays in a, a private room and doesn't see anyone and the men go in one by one and if they think she's beautiful they give her money that's pretty bizarre <laughs> so if they don't think she's beautiful they just walk out and Yes, yes. I mean, you give you you give something, but the amount basically you're judging her beauty, which I just think is was really bizarre. And I left my wallet in the car. I was like, oh, she probably thinks she's ugly. I didn't give her any money, but I had no idea this strange little ritual. That's so. You were hitchhiking, got picked up by family, and went to their wedding. <laughs> yep. Was it? I'm. <laughs> I'm assuming they didn't speak English. Um, just the one guy who picked me up. He spoke English, and the rest of the family didn't speak any English. It was about everyone in the whole village was at this wedding. About 100 people, and I was like a celebrity. Everyone was just, oh, do a shot with me. Do a shot with me. Oh, you sit at the head of the table. I was like, eh, it kind of made me feel a little uncomfortable. But after a couple shots of vodka, loosened up. <laughs> Yeah, so how do you, you know, when you're a tourist, and especially in a, in a country like that or an area of the country where, you know, they probably don't see many people like you often, how do you deal with that attention and just everyone trying to, you know, oh, my God, where are you from? Or, you know, how do you deal with that sort of attention, whether it's kind of wanted or not? Usually it's wanted, and it's okay. Everyone, like at this wedding, for example, they all wanted to do selfies with me. Don't know what they're going to use those pictures for, but I was like, yeah, I'll take the time. I'll try to be polite. I'll try to follow the customs as best I can and try to make it a learning experience. But um, the people are always really curious when you're in those remote places. They've probably never seen a foreigner in their life, um, let alone a homeless white guy from America. And... They're just, yeah, very curious. They want to know where you're from, what are you doing. Um, like, for example, when I was doing the Trans-Siberian a few years ago, once they found out I was American, because first I was telling everyone I was Canadian, um, and then they found out I was American, and they're like, oh, wow, the great America, Hollywood, mom and dad, actor, actresses. I'm like, uh, well, this is a great opportunity to try to, you know, enlighten people about America, my country. <laughs> You said at first you were telling them you were Canadian. Was that obviously intentionally, but why Why were you saying you were Canadian? It was just a, a time with pretty high tensions between the U.S. and Russia, and I had no. it was my first time in Russia, I had no idea. Um, and it turned out that the Russian people are probably the most friendly, hospitable people in the world, and they really love Americans, surprisingly. And people took care of me for 30 days. People took me into their homes, fed me, drove me places. Um, it was incredible, and it was a total 
wall breaker for me as well, having certain stereotypes about you know, Russians being cold people and they never smile to, wow, they're the friendliest people in the world. So it's a good way for, you know, my biases to be disappear and for me to, you know, show people around the world that, you know, Americans aren't these horrible, horrible people that everyone thinks we are. Okay, so two two questions off of that. Um, I want to get back to kind of those biases we have, but before that, so yeah, with being a, you know, representing your country abroad, do you now kind of almost feel like when people are just do those stereotypes or, you know, whatever they see in the media, oh, Hollywood, mom and dad, actress, you know, is it almost like a, a good welcoming opportunity for you to be like, oh, you kind of said like, oh, here's a learning opportunity for me to to help change these person's perceptions or what they think about America. Do you almost feel like an obligation to do that now for yourself and for the country? Absolutely. As soon as you step foot off American soil, you're an ambassador of your country and everything you, every action you do, everything you say, you're carrying the weight of the country with you. Um, so for me, it's always a great way for me to educate people about you know, we're we're not all you know rich Hollywood people. Like my mom was a teacher's aide, my dad's an electrician. Just normal people, not what people think. Okay, and so it, with those with those biases and and perceptions that we might have of other cultures, you know, from having your view of Russia being cold and unfriendly to, holy shit, these people are super friendly. Um, yeah. When you're going into to other countries now and you maybe have, you know, whenever you're going somewhere, you have probably some expectations, even though you may try to to diminish, or not diminish them, but to remove them to make sure the experience is fresh and new and whatnot. But um, when do you have any, like, exercises or ways you try to think about when you're visiting a new country? Like, okay, I need to remove any past biases or judgments I may have on these people and just form new opinions how it happens or do you just now kind of do that naturally from so much traveling oh yeah it's definitely just a natural thing because even for example this a couple months ago i was traveling around the caucus countries in georgia azerbaijan armenia and in each of those countries all the people are like oh that country's terrible they're horrible over there and every country i go with a smile on my face and you know just uh I take people's comments and judgments with just, I don't take it seriously. I like to make my own opinions. How do you kind of keep things fresh on the road? Or like, you know, do do places start to blend together at all? Or, you know, when you're visiting three or four countries all next to each other, um, I guess, how do you kind of keep each area unique and, and fresh? And, you know, I'm sure in Europe there's a lot of museums or or churches and things like that. So how do you kind of make, you know, have when you look back on stuff, does it kind of blend together or do you have any ways that you try to really separate and have, be able to think about a place and go, oh, yeah, this is that, that, and that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I get a lot of deja vu moments where I'm like, hey, I think I've been here before. Maybe I have, I don't even remember. But... Um, it's just always trying to keep open-minded about it because a lot of people, yeah, you go to Europe and they say, oh, just another church, another church, another church. And like, well, each one is unique, different history, different 
different art architecture or same in in Southeast Asia where people start to say the word templed out because they see too many temples <laughs> but you know you have to look beyond that and try to see the uniqueness of each of those places I'm guilty of saying templed out <laughs> uh, we've, we've all been there and done that especially places like Angkor Wat or you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So do you try to like um I think the the main reason I said templed out was cuz we tried to cram everything into one day. I think we did 10 or 12 temples in a day, including Angkor Wat. Um so have you found it's better to maybe space things out in multiple days or I mean if you're traveling somewhere and only have two or three days do you still try to cram as much as you can into those or just say, you know, I won't see everything and I'm okay with that? I guess it depends where I am. Like, for example, when I was in Angkor Wat, I was with three of my friends and we stayed for four days and we bought the pass. So every day we just go and at our own leisure instead of bam, 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 like checklist traveling. Um, but then other places, like when I was in Norway last month, I was like, well, shit, Norway's expensive. I'm probably only going to be here once in a lifetime, so I'm going to haul ass and try to do and see as much as I can. So it always depends depends on the location, the time, um, the cost, for example. You want to get do as much as you can, but not be too pressured. Okay. Um, so yeah, with uh, let's talk money for a minute. Um, when you're going on these trips, do you know that like the time frame you're going to have so say you go and work for a year in South Korea do you know okay this amount of money will probably be able to travel for another year or two years or do you try to budget it very strictly I guess what's your process with money and trying to plan out your travels well that's just it. if I don't have the money I don't travel so then I work but for me I tried always have over budget like for this past trip it was four and a half months of traveling and I budgeted only five thousand dollars but I only spent four thousand dollars um so it's it's always it's definitely important as a traveler to have a budget so you know your means and how long you can last how do you yeah how do you like when you're in these places and you know, there's always something to do. There's always something to pay for. Always some sort of tour or adventure you can go on. So yeah. how do you like stay true to your budget and say, you know, I, I'm if I do this, I'm going to run out of money in a month, or you know, how do you make sure that you do do the things you want to do and still experience an area well enough, but are still able to uh, keep it within means and uh, not feel like you maybe missed out on some things. Uh, well, that's just it. I meet a lot of travelers, and they are very hardcore, thrifty budget people. Like, if they say they're going to spend $20 today, they're going to spend $20. If they see something they want for one extra dollar, they're not going to buy it. But for me, I'm always, treat yourself. And if I want something, I'll do it. And, yeah, there comes times for things like, for example, uh, even just a few days ago, I was in Montreal, and... I spent a little too much money on wine the first night, so then the next day I was like, oh, I was going to go to this church, but I'm not going to pay $7 to go inside of a church. Like, $7 is my, my Subway sub for lunch today. You know, so try to keep a little bit of balance, but... 
Okay. So maybe take it, take the budget out of other days and go cheap the next day or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sometimes you splurge, sometimes you don't. You might spend zero. If I do couch surfing, for example, well, I just saved, you know, $15 on a dormitory somewhere. And it pretty much all balances itself out. You've got the splurge days, the party days. You've got the sit at home and just read a book and do nothing days to save. And yeah, works out. Have you found any uh, pretty solid uh, budgeting tips or, or things with money from maybe some of these other thrifty people that you've been able to implement into your own life and you've seen have helped pretty extensively? Um, mm, yeah, it's just everything. There's little tricks to do things. Like you, once you get somewhere, you find that like people will say like, "Oh, you know that there's this. This is free on Sunday, or this is, you know, p- public transportation is cheaper to do this." And yeah, you definitely learn from other people. Um, especially a lot of times, the local people they'll say like, "Oh, well, you should go there on Monday because it's fifty percent off," or you know, go to this restaurant because it's cheaper. And so you definitely learn from other people. Okay, so ask around as much as possible. Yep, I mean, that's the, the whole point of staying in hostels, right? To meet other people, <laughs> share stories and opinions, and get information. Yeah, definitely. Are there any major similarities that you've noticed or come to realize across many different cultures or people or, or places throughout your travels? People are people. Most are good, some are bad, um, and especially, I mean, travelers usually are pretty like-minded people and quite easy to get along with, um, but yeah, it's just people are people. Okay. I guess one of my my flaws would probably be that I, I, I trust too easy people and, you know, get sometimes get into bad situations because of that but can you uh, give an example of a time that's gotten you in trouble well like in a dormitory and they have the lockers but you think ah these people are fine no one's gonna touch my stuff and then you find some stuff that's missing out of your bag um so i mean this just happened a couple months ago actually someone took my headlamp and my pocket knife and i was like oh come on people like you're a traveler. You should know better than to steal. <laughs> yeah, that's that is definitely that kind of blind trust with other travelers in a hostel. Like, hey, we're all here, same boat. Like, don't touch my shit. <laughs> and there's always, especially the food thieves. Uh, the food thieves are the worst. You know, <laughs> your name and checkout date is on there, but people still help themselves. Like, buy your own food. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> other. Uh, other than the the food, is there any um, any parts of other travelers or tourists you see that really kind of grinds your gears, whether that's in a hostel or, or outside of one? Uh, quite a few things, I would say. First of all, to all the snorers out there, they should have to pay for a private. Nobody wants a snore in the room. Nobody wants the young 18-year-olds having sex in the bunk bed next to them either. Like, if you're going to be doing things like that, pay for a private room. Um, but, yeah, I mean, usually it's good. It's just 
if you can't beat them, join them. If they're drinking, drink with them. <laughs> but there's there's some some etiquette that some people just don't really think about others. They just think about themselves, and it's their vacation. They can do whatever they want. But it's a dormitory. It's communal living. They gotta sometimes be told like, "Hey, that's not okay." Yeah, it's definitely. Uh an interesting environment sometimes have have you found that maybe one particular not one particular but in certain countries the the environment is a little more extreme like that where people are maybe a little less respectful of others or um i mean that could also just be dependent on the hostel and i guess how much you're paying but is there anywhere in particular that comes to mind when you think about Oh man, I just remember being frustrated a lot in that area. Uh, hands down, Australia. Australia was just the 18-year-old backpacker mecca of people partying, drinking 24/7. Impossible to escape. Every hostel, every every place was just uh, bags of goon and partying. I, I thought eh, I'll join them. I can't beat the 18-year-olds. So I'll join them. <laughs> Is so is Australia probably one of the uh, the largest party places you've been to? For um, backpacking scene, yeah, it's a twenty four seven party. Um, I went down there with the mentality, which is an American only thing. Spring break, nobody understood. I was like, yeah, it's like spring break. Nobody in the world does spring break or understands what spring break is. <laughs> but I basically had the whole month mentality, like, ah, I'm here. I'm going to do it like I'm 18 as well, in spring break mode. So you said for travelers, yes. Um, for, I guess, the other category would be locals? or um, So on the local scene, what country parties the hardest? Ooh, tough one. Um, wow. I mean, even South Korea is pretty well known for being huge drinking culture. Um, every business person, everybody, old and young, pretty much gets drunk at least a few times a week, I think. Have you thought about going to other countries to teach? Or and since the relationships and, and companies you've or schools you've worked with in South Korea that's been a good area to go back to, or have you ever thought of, like, transferring to a different country? Um, completely in the process this week of looking for jobs around the world. I'm considering Argentina, Taiwan, um, Poland, all over the map, just looking for opportunities. Um, Korea's been... If I go back, I go back. I still have my connections there, friends that are going to be there forever. Um, but looking for something a little bit of change something new are you so are you still looking to teach in these other countries or just find yeah. a different type teaching, of job teaching is definitely my my passion never thought i would be a teacher um definitely not what i studied and went to school for but found i really really like it okay so with that uh with that change in you know you study something at school and then find out, oh, I actually don't want to do that. Um, if you can think back to a few years when you kind of first had that realization, what was that conversation like with other people or with your parents or were you just like, hey, yeah, this um, is what I want to do? Or 
Well, it would have probably been first out of my dad's mouth. Why the hell are you going there to do that? You studied science. You're going to be a doctor. <laughs> and like, and it took him a few years. And then they came to visit me in South Korea. And they're like, wow, shit, you're doing good for yourself. We're proud. Um, <laughs> but it was definitely quite a few years of judgment from friends and family. Like, why on earth did you study genetics and biochemistry if you went to Korea to teach English? <laughs> so... Did, uh, did that put any, uh, like, uh, extra pressure on you or any doubts into your own head of, like, maybe I shouldn't do this? Or were well, you... yeah, I was definitely like, hmm, this is just going to be a one-year thing, then I'll go back and sort it out. Um, and then, yeah, I saw the world. I was like, wow, I can't imagine myself being in a laboratory for 60 to 80 hours a week when I can have fun teaching with exciting little kids and um there was pretty much no turning back at that point is there uh is there any specific reason why you think more people don't don't do something like you've done fear fear of not knowing what's out there um so many people always ask me like oh how could you do that like wasn't it scary or dangerous or don't you feel alone and i'm like nope not at all um you just got to step in and go with the flow. I mean, it is a big sacrifice. You sacrifice lots of things. Like, you miss out on weddings and births and deaths and time with family and friends. But at the end of the day, your bonds actually grow, I think, even more being that far away. Do you have any other, other friends from back home who, um, like... Um from like college days or, or other people who've done something this long as well and it's easier to relate to about or are most of the, your other traveling friends people you've met in Korea and just along people the way? I've met. Yeah, people I've met along the way. I don't, I can't really think of any of my friends who have traveled this extensively or lived abroad other than a couple that went to study and, you know, study in London or something for a few months or... Um, nobody from high school or university that has done what I've done that I'm aware of. Okay. So when, when people do tell you, or they say to you like, oh, how do you do that? That must be so scary. How are you alone that much? Do you try to kind of educate them on, hey, you know, actually what you're saying isn't really true? Or do you just kind of like realize, uh, maybe they're just saying this as other excuses or... I guess, do you try to kind of educate them on that as well? Um, yeah, for sure, because um, a lot of people do. I mean, some of my friends are people that make comments like, oh, why the hell would you ever want to go there? Um, and usually I have to be like, all right, time out. These people need some education here. Um, I'm like, well, first of all, you don't even have a passport. That's pretty sad. Like, that means you only want to be here for the rest of your life. And then I have to kind of... It's a great, it's a great way for me to really teach people like hey the world isn't this big scary place um which i am from a pretty small town i think there's like 10 or twenty thousand people and i would imagine most don't leave that that safety safety zone other than um uh, just missing out on some things from back home like weddings or births and things like that uh 
is there any other major con you can think of when uh, when kind of living a lifestyle like this? No. Other than the, the people always, friends and stuff, they always say like, oh, I wish I could do what you're doing. And sometimes in my mind I'm like, well, I kind of wish I had a home and a car and a family. And But then I think like, no, no, I don't really want that at all. Okay. Yeah, it's it's like one of those things where you kind of want what you don't have, but just because exactly. you don't have it, like, do you really want it? I don't know. Or yeah. is it just something that we've been told we should want? Or <laughs> yeah, especially especially being from America, where it's pretty pretty cut and paste. Like, you go to graduate high school, you go to university. Graduate university, you get your job. Get your job, you get your house, and it's just very very structured whereas like i'm always super jealous of people from europe because they most of them get that gap year between high school and university where they go they explore they find out what they're interested in instead of jumping right into a four-year degree if they don't even know what they like yeah that's that's been one of the biggest surprises i think i've realized too is how Americans, we don't do that. And the rest of the world, they always have this gap year. Like, so many of the travelers I meet, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm on a gap year, or I'm in between high school or college, or just finished college. And it's it's much more accepted there, and it doesn't, you don't have to be called kind of crazy, or what are they doing, or just like, oh, yeah, they're, yeah. they're doing uh, some traveling. It's much more of a normal thing, whether that's good or bad. Obviously, I think we'd both agree that's good, but yeah. I, two questions um, if you were to, if you were living in America and you had a child there, say they're going into college, would you try to push them towards deferring for a year and doing a gap year despite America's tendency to not do that? Um, I mean, if they're really adamant about something, like they really, really, really want to be a teacher or something or a doctor, okay, no problem. But I would definitely encourage at least a little bit of or at least to do a study abroad for the first semester. If you don't jump right into a gap year, at least try something, go somewhere, see something outside of America and your comfort. Okay. Um, okay, and then second related to that is how would we even go about maybe trying to make a, a cultural shift among Americans to to realize maybe a gap year is a good thing and it's okay to put your career on hold for a year or school on hold or something like that you know is that even something you foresee being able to happen in america or is it just start with something else? Can't, i can't see the mold being broken um it's just that's the way society is i mean unless tuition gets even more expensive and maybe some kids will realize wow i'm not gonna pay for something i don't know if i want and I mean, I don't see a change in the foreseeable future, but um, hopefully, in time, at least some people will start to be more adventurous, open-minded, try to break the mold. Yeah, definitely agree. I think it's a important thing to do in life, whether for a year, or a month. But yeah, just getting outside of 
your uh, normal life definitely helps. Um, yeah, even in my own family, I usually send postcards out to my cousins and whatnot, and all my, all my younger cousins always are like, oh, I want to do what Jason does when I grow up, or I want to go, and a, a lot of them are, like my one cousin, he's going to the Galapagos next week, um, and he's only 16, and a lot of, just, I think... I don't know if I inspired, but, you know, I send postcards from all around the world, and they see that, and I think it's kind of cool. How, how have your, um, like, some of your interests throughout the years um, either grown or changed due to traveling and, and your lifestyle? Um, the big one, I would say, which was just this past weekend when I finally got to watch the Bills and the, or the, the playoffs, but kind of lose interest in sports because you can never watch them on time. Like, living in Korea, it's a 13-hour time difference, so if I want to be a hardcore fan, I'm going to have to be awake at strange hours. So it's just kind of something that you you just lose. Have you picked up... Are there any sports in Korea? I mean, is there, like, any other sports that you've picked up watching because of the time difference there? Um... Mm, uh, baseball, actually. I used to hate baseball, but now going to a game there, I love it. <laughs> All right. What's the uh, what's Korea's? How many baseball teams do they have? Is there are they part of a Korean league or Japanese league or? Uh, there, there's a Korean league. Almost every city has their own team. Like we're the the Samsung Lions in my town, <laughs> um, and every every major city has their own team. So it's okay. pretty competitive. Oh, sweet. I did not know that it was bi- uh, that was a big thing there. Yeah, it's huge, really huge. Um, okay, and so same question, um, kind of, but with habits. Have you noticed any habits that you've either have magnified because of traveling or changed maybe that you've picked up from other cultures or things that you've implemented into your life on a day-to-day basis? Um... Definitely patience. When you're when you're traveling, you gotta just go with the unexpected, and you know you might be going to take a flight, and it might be delayed for 36 hours, like I had just a few days ago. Um, 36 so hour delay. Yeah, they put us up in a hotel, which was great. There was a mini bar in the fridge, great, super. But I think a lot of people get nervous with that because they like so scheduled and structured, where you just gotta be like, okay, well, 36 hours, so figure out something to do, I'll read a book, I'll go walk somewhere, do something, and you just got to be definitely more patient and a lot more flexible, for sure. Yeah, no better teacher for that than a 36-hour delay or something that extreme. <laughs> or, you know, your, your bus breaks down, or yeah, anything can happen, and you just got to roll with the punches. Yeah. Um, like, what's been one of the bigger challenges you've felt with um, whether teaching abroad and, and making money to travel or just on the road um, maybe in the past few years what's one of the, the biggest challenges you've faced um, I'm sure obviously being away from family and, and friends is one so maybe other than that um, I would probably say the most annoying and difficult challenge is all the bureaucracy of visas and um, international paperwork and such. 
even simple things like using an ATM and getting a fine or a fee every single time. It's just like, ah, oh, why is it? Why did they make it so difficult? Or like this visa, I have one hundred and fifty dollars. Why won't they just give it to me? But they're making me wait for two weeks. It's uh, that's the main annoyance. Okay. Is it what what country has been one of the hardest to get into? Because I'm I've only been in Asia so far, and with the U.S. passport. Other than China, they're all either free or very cheap to get into. Um, so what have been some of the more difficult countries to to get entry into or a visa approved? Um, a lot of countries now are swinging towards e-visas, which is great. Like I got my e-visa this year for Tajikistan and Azerbaijan. They've been making it, you know, you just pay, wait 15 minutes, and you've got your visa. Um, but a difficult one was definitely the worst was Uzbekistan. Um, I had to do some negotiations and some, yeah, it's just really, really shady. And it took, I went to the embassy in Tajikistan and I said, like, oh, I'm American applying for a visa. And they said, oh, you need a letter of invitation. And I said, no, I don't. I checked with your embassy and you don't need that. It's your government policy. And they're like, oh, no, no, you do. I was like, mm, no, I don't. And uh, there was some back-and-forth banter, and they're like, okay, finally, they said, okay, come back in 10 days. And I said, well, no, I, well, I just won't go to your country then. And he's like, okay, okay, maybe two days, two days. And it was just a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> like, I, I just want to go to your country, spend some money, and see some things. But why are you making it so difficult to get this visa? That's <laughs> that's so wild. Just, no, yeah, we require this, like, no, you don't. <laughs> then they asked, they're like, oh, well, who did you speak to? And I actually, I lied, I didn't speak to anyone, but I was like, oh, I called the Uzbek embassy in Washington, D.C. and South Korea, and the guy was just like, oh, okay, um, no argument. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, uh, have you had any other kind of, like, horror stories with, uh, um, with, like, getting into countries or just, like, dealing with, um officials or policemen or anything like that where it's just you know the cards are stacked against you and not sure how to get out of it yeah yeah even ones especially in some of these well the, i guess you wouldn't even call them countries but there's a little one little renegade country between moldova and ukraine called transnistria um probably nobody in the world has heard of this place unless you've been in that region and you're only allowed to enter at least back then this was about four years ago you were allowed to enter the country on a 10-hour visa um, and it was it was supposed to be free and all the blogs and everything i read in advance said that they're going to ask for bribes at the border and sure enough the guy was like you have a gift for me i was like mm, no gift for you today buddy um and he made me sit in the room and was waiting for his gift and my bus left without me it was the only bus that hour and I just sat there for an hour and was like I'm not giving you anything like we can sit here all day you're getting nothing from me and eventually he was just like okay go but <laughs> I was like yeah you're not getting any bribe money oh my gosh <laughs> do you have a gift for me that's insane yeah not not like a hey give me money and we'll let you go just asking for a gift like no I didn't I'm not Santa Claus I'm not bringing gifts for you <laughs> Is uh is corruption much more the norm in other places around the world, like every other country? Or, I mean, obviously, U.S. and I'm sure South Korea and very established world economic countries have 
don't have too much corruption in the in the tourist industry like that but outside of those major countries have you is it pretty typical to have to pay people off or just little bribes like uh, that? It, it all depends and that's why it's important to do your research before you go to places um but there's quite a fair deal of that shady police bribe things happening around latin america east africa um eastern europe um it's, and it's a lot more visible they don't even try to hide it they just be straight to your face say give me give me money or give me a gift yeah is it um, um even, oh, sorry go ahead oh uh, i was just thinking of another example one time i was crossing back from rwanda into tanzania and it was just this little river crossing a guy on a motorbike drove me and the border guard was like, oh, we're not open today, but if you give me $50, we can open today. And I was just like, how How do you like, close an international border? Like, <laughs> I don't understand how that's even a thing. Um, but, yeah, I ended up having to pay him $50. I would have been stuck in the Serengeti for the night. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Did, uh, I think I saw that on your Facebook... Were you in Myanmar in or Burma in uh, like 2010? Um, no, it would have been just three years ago. Oh, um, it would have okay. been 2000, 2014, I think. Okay, so that was pretty shortly after they actually opened the borders back up to tourism, right? Yes, it was still pretty new, and it was very well organized by the Chinese government where you could go, when you could go, what you could see, who you could talk to. Ah, uh, okay. So it's still very structured. Very much. You, can, you have to stick to the main tourist path and you can't stay with locals. You have to stay in tourist hotels run by the government. And it was very, very controlled. Mm, okay. I think that's changed a little bit today. Um, or... Maybe. So you had to apply through the China government, or I guess why did you... No, um, I I think I just got the visa on arrival, but um, from speaking with locals, I did a little bit of trekking off the beaten path illegally and got some very good insight um, by the locals about how things are very controlled by the Chinese government. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, sorry, to step back for a second here, um, you mentioned, obviously, it's important to do research before heading to a place, so do you have any, um, resources or websites or apps that you go back to time and time again to maybe start off your research or always check about countries or any place? Um... Yeah, I'm usually, like, the first thing, like anybody, when you need to find something, you go and ask Wikipedia. So I use, uh, always check first on uh, Wikivoyage and Wikitravel, just to get an idea of what's going on in a place, or what to see, or what to do, what to eat, or is it safe, not safe. Because um, I find a lot of people always ask me about, especially checking for safety of countries, um, they look at the U.S. State Department website, and there is a whole lot of countries listed on there, and I've been to a lot of them, and they are completely 100% safe. Um, so I don't trust those sites, for example. Okay. Um, and then beyond just research, 
Um, do you have any other sort of apps or websites or other resources that you use for traveling or just kind of life on the road that you think are an absolute must-have? Mm, not really. Um, I think the best thing is just to go and figure it out and ask people. And I see so many people, especially around Europe, um, South America, they all carry around that Lonely Planet book like it's a Bible. And you can tell where the tourists are going because everyone's following this same book. And it, you know, that's that's cool and nice, but everyone's doing the same thing, staying in the same places, not getting off the path. So for me, it's just, uh, yeah, just look online, try to find things that are different, ask people, like, what's something special, where to go, what to see that's not on the tourist path. Yeah, um, why, because I, I agree that it's kind of important to try to get off the path a little bit, but uh, why, why are some of the reasons that you like to get off the path or you think it's important to maybe not try to do every little touristy thing and, and kind of explore some less known areas? Um, yeah, it's just, I, I think people should and there's no way you're ever going to find out these special places without connecting with the local people um, so you just got to be open minded and go with it maybe it's not amazing maybe they just think it's something amazing but it's still unique because they care about it and they're proud of the certain things that you would never know about even searching online you can't find some of these places and things yeah, have you seen um, like a major change in in maybe the tourist industry or traveling as a whole since you started? Um, maybe whether due to technology and and online resources like Lonely Planet or um, TripAdvisor and stuff like that. Have you seen like a big change in that? Uh, kind of. Yeah, for for me, TripAdvisor. Sorry, TripAdvisor, but I think is laughable because literally everything is on TripAdvisor. Like, this bathroom is on TripAdvisor. <laughs> this this sidewalk is on TripAdvisor. Everything's on TripAdvisor. So, you know, I don't trust that stuff too much. But um, definitely I've seen a big shift in the dynamics of traveling and, like, who, which countries people are traveling from or which countries people are going to. It's definitely changed even being in south korea my first year or two there i didn't meet many people that ever left south korea or would even dream of leaving it and now i'm meeting korean backpackers all over the place so you can see a big a big shift even at that small scale have you have you ever um been to a place and then returned a few years later and found it very different or like the exact same um, other than South Korea, or I guess South Korea too, since that you've already said that changed a little bit throughout your years. Yeah, but some places, like, I think a really prime example would be in uh, Bogota, Colombia. Uh, the first time I went there, I was just like, "Wow, this place is dynamic," but you know, not very developed. And then I went back three or four years later, and they had built a metro and more skyscrapers, and it, just a couple years, it went from just another capital city to being a little more cosmopolitan and organized and 
Um, I went a couple of years after that as well, and even more and more. And it's interesting to see these places, how they develop and change. Have you noticed anywhere like that's caught a huge tourist boom um, that you think maybe has negatively affected it? that I can think of off the top of my head, actually. Um, I mean, tourism typically is always a good thing, even sometimes places get ruined and beaches disappear, or um, the culture kind of disappears. I think for me, maybe one of the major ones might be Thailand. I feel like Thailand is just too geared towards tourists, where it's actually my least favorite country in Southeast Asia because it's just too much too much tourism. Everything is tourist things, and it doesn't feel as authentic. Yeah, understandable. I just spent a few weeks there, and uh, yeah, some of those islands there are just insane for tourists. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been I've been to Thailand maybe twelve times, and it's good. It's great. I mean. But it's a, I think a lot of people, it's a safe country as well. Like They can go and have this exotic vacation and still feel pretty comfortable because there's so many Western amenities and fancy hotels and restaurants and everything. Yeah. Is there... So, you've been to Thailand 12 times. That's crazy. Um, is there, like... Do you go back for a specific activity? Or, I guess, when you are traveling maybe for on trips and stuff... Um, do you ever go specifically to do an activity like maybe scuba diving or mountain biking or something like that? Um, yeah, like I went down to the Philippines for a month just basically to do scuba diving. So I spent a month, I got my, my rescue license there and just dove around. Or, for example, uh, for my birthday this year, I wanted to do some real hiking, so I flew to Nepal and hiked Everest, um, like, so there's, yes. You hiked Everest? Not to the top, just to the base camp. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah. Still, though, Still, that's nuts. Yeah, it was a, a nice nine-day hike. Um, easy. Can, can you expand on that a little bit more? So it was nine days just to get to the base camp? Um, I think we did seven up, and then two or three down. Um, it's eighty. It's an eighty-kilometer circuit, so and you go up to I forgot the the actual altitude, like five thousand six hundred meters or something. Um, you're definitely up there. Altitude sickness for sure. Um, the vomiting, the headaches. Did you um meet any of the people at the base camp who were trying to summit or? I guess, well, who uh, are the, the day, people there? The day that we arrived at the base camp, it was completely empty because it was the best, the peak time in May to summit, and that day all the climbers were up there, and there was actually the accident this year where three or four people died the day we were there. Um, so that was pretty intense when we started seeing all the helicopters coming in and rescue teams and stuff. Jeez. But, um, 
Yeah, it's, you, you meet lots of people on the actual trail going up. There's loads of other backpackers and even families and people from all walks of life. Yeah, is um, did you go to Nepal kind of strictly for that, or have you been to other places in Nepal? No, this was my first time in Nepal, and I went just to do that because I was turning 30, and I wanted to do something a bit, a bit different for my birthday. So flew to Nepal and hiked. Okay. Um, so touching on, on your birthday and uh, maybe like some holiday type stuff. Um, so I know you said first year or first time back at for the Christmas holiday in five years. Um, so what have been one of the most untraditional holidays or birthdays that you've had? I've had quite a few strange birthdays. Like one year, my friends met me in Dubrovnik in Croatia, and we just went and did a booze cruise and sailed around. Um, and that's where I got addicted to Game of Thrones, unfortunately. <laughs> Not um, a bad Another wish. one. I was in Oman, and I completely forgot it was even my birthday. And uh, this, I met two random people, a woman from Germany and a guy from Austria, and they rented a boat out and took me on a cruise around uh, Muscat Harbor, and I was just like, wow, cool birthday. Wasn't expecting anything, and here I am, cruising around the people I just met. Do you try to uh, do any special thing on like the holidays, like Christmas or Thanksgiving? Because um, I know, at least for me, um, this was kind of my first time I was away for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, it, you know, it's always a little bit strange. Uh, I mean, it was my first time, so maybe a little bit more. But And maybe you think a little bit extra about people back home and maybe past traditions or things you usually do around that time. Um, is there anything you usually try to implement into your life on those days or around those periods of time? Nah, usually it's just try to be near some sort of source of internet to make some Skype calls home, and um, I've had lots of strange ones. Like one year for Thanksgiving, I was in Poland and visiting Auschwitz, and I was like, well, well, this is, I'm pretty thankful for everything in my life, being in a place this sad. Um, and if, I, if I'm in a place even, uh, one year I was in... Um, Peru with the volunteers I was working with and none of them were American but we decided I'm going to have Thanksgiving dinner so I we uh, had guinea pig instead of turkey because there was no turkey um, I made some mashed potatoes and tried to do try to make it feel homey <laughs> some guinea pig instead of turkey <laughs> yeah, gets the job done I'm sure is that good? I mean I used to have a guinea pig as a pet so is it good to eat? Um, it was pretty disgusting. Even the dog that was living there with us wouldn't eat the guinea pig. It, <laughs> we bought it in the market. It came out of, like, pre-roasted out of a garbage bag. Um, but I was like, I'm in Peru. I should try this. And, yeah, it was it was horrible. Um, nobody ate it. The dog wouldn't even eat it. <laughs> What's uh, one of the more stranger things you've you've eaten other than guinea pig. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know what even people ask me this question all the time. Like, what constitutes as being strange? I guess like, most most unique or different from American culture. Like in Cambodia, I remember there was like just street foods of fried tarantulas and beetles and bugs, which from America is really really strange. Um, or like guinea pig or dog, you know, those are all things that you would never have in the U.S. So I guess compared to the U.S., strange. Um, yeah, I mean, you just nailed a lot of them. Yeah, walking in a market in Laos or Cambodia and having all your insects fried up, which are delicious, like fried up with some salt or like potato chips, but they're grasshoppers. Um, <laughs> Or even the, some of the, the taboo things in Korea, like, I think some a lot of people still think, like, oh, Koreans eat dog. Well, there is dog restaurants, but it's only for foreigners that want to try dog. Like, local people don't eat this. It's just a, a taboo food. Okay. Did you end up trying dog? Yep, twice. Once by accident, and once purposely. <laughs> How did it happen by accident? Uh, um, yeah, didn't just didn't know it was dog until the next morning, and then we found out we ate dog. Did you feel like sad for that? I was a little, yeah. I was like, oh, oh, like if I would have known, maybe it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But then you got feel guilty, like, oh man, I didn't know I was eating a dog. <laughs> Yeah, that's. <laughs> I would definitely feel a little bit guilty about that too, especially if I didn't know. Be like, oh, that's that's our pets. Is there anything? That, I'm sure there are a few things, but is there anything you've done, uh, whether experience or, or eating or like being bitten by a piranha that while doing it you were maybe thinking like, wow, when people back home hear about this, they're gonna think I've absolutely lost my mind uh yeah i have those moments all the time but now i'm like ah who cares what they think like yeah i'm doing something completely completely insane but for me it's just normal <laughs> do you have any examples of, of something like that um i guess even just a couple weeks ago when I was in Lebanon, um, I met a Korean backpacker and we decided to go into the region in the Syrian border where everyone internationally said, oh, that place is way too dangerous. It's, it's uh, you know, it's not safe. Who would ever go there? And, well, sure enough, right now I'm actually wearing the T-shirt that the people gave me, a Hezbollah T-shirt, and they were the friendliest people, you know, offering us to come into their home for tea and snacks, and it was an amazing experience. And before I went there, everyone was like, you are out of your damn mind. Why the hell are you going towards Syria? Um, but I did it, and it was amazing. So have you ever actually, like, truly felt unsafe or threatened on the road? I mean, even just last week when I was in New York City, there's so many homeless people I felt afraid, and people I think outside of America is dangerous, but I was like, man, there's so many, like, ah, yeah, so you can, I feel unsafe, not often, but um, I think usually it's the places where you think you would be safe that end up not being the safe place. Hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, that is, uh... <laughs> there's probably definitely a lot of loonies in New York. Yep. But, yeah, I think, because it's, um... It's a very... Uh, discussed topic or first things people bring up and for good reason but you know when you think about going somewhere oh is it safe you know will I be able to come back home from there will I get captured or kidnapped and I guess it's almost such a irrational fear in most places and just something that we kind of blow up in our minds when we're back home um, like what would you tell people if they're saying that like oh uh, I'm concerned about safety there, or oh, that's way too unsafe of a place. Like for example, uh, or, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Even my my grandmother, she gets me, and she's like, "Oh, there's people getting murdered in our hometown. Like, I mean, anywhere can be dangerous." And it's true. You just need to be smart. Like, if I'm in, if I'm American and I'm walking around New York City, I'm not gonna walk around New York City alone at 3 a.m. in an alleyway. You just gotta. If I'm traveling in Tajikistan, I'm not going to go to cross Afghanistan, where you know you just got to be smart and aware of your surroundings always, and know when you're pushing it too far, when you're going somewhere that's not okay. But the simple, common sense safety precautions will uh, get you pretty far. Okay. Um, is there any country or place that you've been to that you immediately upon arriving were like nope I don't want to be here I want to get out or anywhere that just totally unappealed to you um mm, no not that I can think of nowhere was um that that bad I mean probably one of the worst I ever had actually was coming back to the United States and getting grilled by immigration and like why visiting my family but they just didn't understand like how someone could leave the country for two and a half years and I felt like wow welcome to America I've been in an interrogation room for three hours being drilled with questions and it's not the most welcoming experience yeah is it um you maybe get this question a little bit too, but so last time you were home before now was two and a half years ago, um, and now getting back home and being in the states, have you seen any drastic or kind of different changes um, since like Trump has been elected, and obviously in the last two years for America, living there has been an interesting time politically at least. Um, and it's blown up every day by people who think it's going to end and whatnot, but I guess, have you seen any really true changes since coming back this time? Honestly, no. It seems like everything's the same. Like, you're walking down the streets, nothing's changed. Um, it's much easier, though, to get into an argument at a bar, for sure. Um, <laughs> trying to educate people, or educate yourself because I don't really know what the hell's going on in America. I don't follow politics that closely. Um, so it's a good chance for me to learn what, what's going on. But nothing nothing visually, it doesn't feel any different. Um, it's just basically a family, friends, conversation piece. Okay. Is Do you... Um, 
I get. Did you uh, like have an interest in that stuff before leaving, and like, did you try to keep up with with American culture still while away, or is it just something that you don't really think about? You know, you'll hear about the big things from friends or media, um, and just kind of when you get back, you'll hear about stuff. Or did you ever try to really keep up with things, or you're just kind of not interested in that? That I mean, if it's something big, I'm gonna know about it. Like it's gonna be in the news. They read the news every day. But as far as cultural things, like yeah, I don't know who the, the latest singer is or who is Dancing with the Stars or any of that <laughs> garbage. I don't know what Dancing with the Stars either. I don't think that's. <laughs> but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and these are the things that people really care about and they're really passionate about in America. I'm like, oh, Jesus, there's so <laughs> many there's so many bigger problems than who's got thrown off the Bachelorette or something like that. <laughs> what uh, is there anything or a problem that you feel particularly passionate about that you think maybe uh, if you were to volunteer again or maybe try to have an impact in improving? Um, in particular that you'd want to spend your time and energy on? Um, I mean, I was even looking maybe next month to go down somewhere like Puerto Rico or somewhere in the Caribbean that's been decimated this year and just throw in a helping hand wherever you can. I mean, there's there's endless possibility. I could find a place probably to volunteer just in Palm Beach right now. Um, there's always people that need help. And there's no particular thing I can, you know, help with teaching, help build something, help clean something. Um, I'm open to do anything to put my time to use. Do you meet a lot of other travelers who do similar things or volunteering, or is it just more based on the individual? Uh, I think it's more based on the individual. Um, there are a lot of the long-term backpackers that I meet that do some sort of work along the way. Um... But, yeah, different people, different things. Okay. Um, all right, uh, we'll do one more of these types of questions, and then I've got a few um, kind of like stock-type rapid-fire questions that uh, I think are good for asking, but maybe, uh, oh maybe boy. I've heard a few times. <laughs> um, but, yeah, before we do those, um, have you, like ever kind of doubted what you're doing or just been like you know why why am i doing something so untraditional in terms of the typical american path um and if if so you know how have you dealt with these or from day one have you been pretty confident in your decisions yeah sometimes uh, you get the traveler lull like usually every month or two and it's just like why the hell am i i'm tired i don't want to see anything today i don't want to do anything today like i wish i was just home eating my mom's food um but then those are the days the best way to beat it is just be be a yes man if someone says hey we're going to a bar go to the bar with them or someone's cooking dinner cook with them and you just gotta keep keep active but it does hit those points where you're like, what the hell am I doing in this place? Why am I here? And then you think about it, you're like, well, I'm here. I'm lucky. I get to see this, experience this. And you got to refresh your attitude. So follow up on that then. like, So do you, are there periods where you're just straight up maybe tired of traveling and you just, 
you don't want to be on the road anymore, you want a home base, or you're just like, I'm tired of this. Yeah, you definitely get at that point, and then sometimes it's okay just to take a few days off, do nothing, see nothing, take no pictures, maybe not even get a private room, not a dormitory, just to have some some you time and not feel the, the urge to do something, see something, because you're in this amazing place. It's okay to just say no, I'm not going to do nothing today. Got it. Yeah, definitely important to uh, to recharge the batteries after uh, yeah. exploring so much. But then you get it again, you get a few more weeks of go, 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 see, 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 and then it comes again, and you just repeat, repeat, repeat. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so we'll get into a few of these uh, stock rapid-fire type questions. Um, so if you were given a plane ticket to anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would you want to go? Mm, South Africa. Any particular reason? I've never been there. I've got a lot of friends there, and I think it's a cool region. Okay. And so so that would be a new place. Um, if the ticket yep. had to be somewhere that you've already been to, where would you want to go? I would probably fly back to Korea to visit my friends. So when when was the last time you were in Korea then? Um, it would have been in August. Okay. Um, so similarly, if you were forced to move somewhere other than the U.S., then you had to stay for at least a year, what country would you choose? Oh, man. Any of them. Um, maybe Italy or Argentina or anywhere would be good. <laughs> okay, I'm a what are flexible. The, uh, three top choices. All right. Argentina, Taiwan, Spain. All right. Yeah, so you did mention uh, in our initial chat about Taiwan that you'd want to move here. Uh, since I'm here currently, um, what a, what about the country do you like? Uh, where have you traveled to here? Um, hands down for the food. Um, I mean, the, the Shilin Night Market is just a food junkie's paradise. Is that in uh, Tepe? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really like Taipei. It's just a really dynamic city. There's always something happening, like street performers or festivals and just food and drink, and it's a cheap, beautiful city. Um, and lots of things, little day trips outside of the city, and I really had a good time hiking through uh, Toroko Gorge on the East Coast. Um, I just really like the country. The people are so friendly, um, and the food's amazing, and it's just lively, vibrant. I haven't I haven't been up to Taipei yet. I'm on the southern east coast, just uh, doing a work away thing. But yeah, it seems really cool so far. Um, yeah. Get up to Taipei and go to the Shilin Night Market with an empty stomach. Shilin Night Market. Yeah. How do you spell that? S H I L I N, I think. S H I L I N. Okay. Cool. I gotta check that out then. Yeah, amazing food. Is it uh, is it just food from all over, or like is 
I know because the Mandarin influence in, or Chinese influence in Taiwan is um, heavy in terms of language and some food and stuff. Is there like unique Taiwanese food? Yeah, I mean, there's everything from all around Asia. You can see like some Filipino influence, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese. You can find anything you want. Um, always fresh, and I mean, you've got your typical things like your stinky tofu and that kind of stuff, and. I mean, everything is just delicious. Braised pig knuckles. Um, <laughs> I, w- I would recommend the python soup. That's good. Python soup. Yeah, you get a little python soup, and they give you five shot glasses with different things like the python blood, the python urine, the python... I don't even want to know what the other three liquids are, <laughs> but it was a pretty unique experience. You get the python soup, and you do these five shots that are supposed to be... Healthy. Do you do you have and, any pictures of those? Um, yeah, I definitely have some pictures on my my Taiwan album. Okay, I'll look for those and and link them in the show notes because that sounds insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's an endless opportunity to eat things there. Okay, D- um, just kind of random. Do you know any other languages? Um, my Spanish is pretty good. Um. I studied Spanish for seven years and traveled a lot in Latin America. Um, My Korean, passable um, for basic things. I've been studying Russian the last two years. Um, And I guess that would be... Oh, and I can do some Swahili. I learned Swahili while I was living there. And it's always fun to practice with friends. Okay. So, sounds like you know a few, at least enough to to get by. Yeah, my my English and my Spanish are good enough to, you know, live anywhere. Um, And Korean, Swahili, and Russian, I'm I'm still working on them. I like like studying languages. Okay. Do you use any uh, specific, um, like, resources? I know Duolingo is popular nowadays. Um, for studying yeah, or learning language, do you use anything like that? No, I don't have any proper apps. Um, I just I'm, on my phone. I have a dictionary in each of the languages, and if I'm trying to figure something out, I'll just look it up. And I always have a notebook, so I write down new words that I hear or phrases that I learn, especially while traveling. Like my Russian got quite better when I was in Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, it was all the Russian-speaking countries. It's just, you'll learn some things every day, and I write them in my notebook and try to use them. What's been the the hardest language for you to, to learn some of the, the words for? Um, I'd have to go with Korean. It's just a very complex grammar and vocabulary. Got it. That's, yeah, just the Asian um, languages, I mean, the characters are so unique and different. Just trying to read some of those is nearly impossible. That's that's why Korean is the easiest one to learn, because it really, even my friends, it takes about one week to learn to read and write in Korean, because it's very simple, Um, whereas... Japanese and Chinese could take a lifetime, I think. Yeah. But just one week to get Korean reading and writing. 
like the basics or you just said it was the hardest one to yeah, learn? To, to, <laughs> no, well, to, to like to read the symbols because it's not to le- learn Hangul, the Korean alphabet. It's very easy to learn the alphabet and how to read and make the symbols. Okay, are there? Uh, I know like Chinese is like three thousand or more symbols. So is uh, it like a much more manageable? Amount in I Korean? think there's I think it's only like thirty six or something. Okay. So it's just like learning an alphabet. Got it. Yeah, that's definitely a little bit more manageable then. Are there any areas or frontiers that you think are still largely unexplored in the world? <sighs> Feels like everything is super explored, but. Um... As far as like being a backpacker and knowing other travelers, places they go and stuff, um, I think places like Central Africa, very untouched still by tourism and um, adventurers. Um, even Central Asia was pretty intense. Um, not so many travelers and backpackers and really feels authentic and unique and like, wow, this is really wild what what um what like countries are central asia is that all the stand countries all the stands okay yeah got it um so 119 countries you've been to if you were to recommend someone uh maybe few countries that they should move towards the top of their bucket list what uh what areas would you say oh man that's a tough one like for first time travelers i definitely think southeast asia is just a really easy place to fall in and get a feel for the travel and backpacking life quite easy um cheap friendly affordable beautiful um also south america similarly is a very well-trodden traveler route and easy to learn and get into it and of course, Europe is just easy for anyone, old people, young people, anyone. It's uh, very manageable. What, um, so what area have you still, like, have a lot to do in? Um, sounds like you've done Asia pretty well, and Central Asia, and, and Europe. Is it, um, do you still have, like, a lot to do in South America, or Africa? I guess, where are you kind um, of focusing Africa on? would be... Africa is definitely the big one. I've only been to six countries in Africa, and I think there's something like 56 countries in Africa, so i got a lot to do and see there. Okay. Do you... I guess, how do you... Like, do you prefer kind of getting to know an area in depth and, and really exploring a country well, or do you prefer just kind of maybe going for a few weeks, seeing some good sites and some other stuff off the path, and and then moving on, or I guess, how do you find that balance of, you know, getting to know a country, but still seeing a lot, but beyond just, like, checking it off on the list? Um, yeah, that's a big one. Like, sometimes people have uh, compared me to one of those, I think there was a guy and a woman that they did all the countries in the world, whatever, but they were counting, like, layovers and things. For me, I've got to actually... You know, be there, meet some people, stay with some locals, try some food, um, and some places, even smaller places, 
I could spend a lot of time in. in some places, bigger countries, I'm like, nah, there's, I don't really like it, so I'm going to move on. Okay, so it's very much on just kind of how you feel once you get there. Yeah, absolutely. Some places I have no intention of even visiting at all, but then I somehow get there and I'm like, wow, I like this place a lot. Is there, um, how, like, how do you plan out your, your travels? Um, you know, if when you're having like, oh, maybe I really like an area, so I'm going to spend an extra week or two here. You know, are you, when you're saying, okay, I, I have enough money for five, six months of travels, you know, what's your planning look like? Is it very just, I'll figure out the first week or two, and then from there, just take it as I go? Um, usually, I just get a couple plane tickets, and then figure out how to get from point A to point B at some point. Like, I'll usually buy whatever the cheapest airfare ticket is, and run with it. And so, for even something like uh, like your last trip, the Silk Road, was that similar, or did you say, okay, I know I need to start here, and I get here next? Like, you know, when you're going geographically like that. Um, yeah, there was, I mean, for the, that one as well, I just looked for the cheapest flight to the region. It was Hong Kong, so I went to Hong Kong, started there, and of course, you're limited at that point by where the trains can take you. Um, and even getting across all of China to western China it was like a game there was no transportation to go into Tajikistan so then had to figure out how to go to Kyrgyzstan or there was no right way to go you could have went any any route um, and that's the fun of it you just gotta you gotta try like even for me I, I didn't had I had no idea I was trying to go to Kyrgyzstan from um, western China and they were said, oh, well, the border's closed on weekends. I was like, wow, that's strange. You just close a country on a weekend. Um, and you just got to figure it out and go wherever you can, however you can. Got it. Yeah, I think that's part of the fun in traveling is just that uncertainty and, uh, and flexibility you need to have. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's, that's why it's fun sometimes to travel with people but then you're kind of stuck, like, okay, well, we have to be there on these dates because that's when their vacation is or something. But it's good to have a mix. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes being organized and scheduled, sometimes just flying by the seat of your pants. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess, how, like, traveling so much and being in, in areas for for sh sometimes short amount of time uh, especially when you're solo um, like how how do you go about developing meaningful relationships or, or deep relationships with people you know when you're only with them for a few days or, or short periods of time I think that's the beauty of being a backpacker because you meet these people you might just hang out for one day and go white water rafting or something but you have this bond that's just indescribable until you actually experience it and do it like hey we've, we were only friends for this weekend we partied we did some activity but i'm going to remember this person for the rest of my life and you know we'll be we'll be facebook friends and if i ever pop in their country i'll stop by and say hi or if they're ever in my neck of the woods always welcome so you just kind of have to have to develop them quick <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's like speed dating. You meet people, and it's like, okay, well, we're going to hang out for a few days. We're going to make the best of it, and maybe I'll never see them again, or maybe they'll be best friends for life. Like, even, for example, on this my last trip um, in New Zealand, I met a bunch of... We were the older crowd in the dormitory, like 28, 29, 30... <laughs> And instantly we all bonded because everyone else backpacking is usually 18-year-old Europeans, and it was cool to meet these people, and we ended up traveling for a week together, and then a month later I met them in Australia, and then a month after that I convinced one of them to come with me to Indonesia and have another adventure, and, you know, your paths do cross again, usually. Uh, that's fun. It's definitely fun seeing people again on the road who you've met randomly or stuff like. Yeah, that. especially. I mean, it's 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 amazing how like small. Like I met this. I remember this Russian girl in the Philippines, and well, um, we hadn't we didn't talk. We weren't even Facebook friends or anything. And I was just walking through Bali, and she's like, "Hey, Jason." I'm like, "Oh shit, hello!" Like small world. <laughs> So, do you um, have any distinct moments or experiences that you remember that really shifted uh, perspective or a view you have on the world? Um, yeah, I think this one's probably my best one. Um, on my first backpacking, backpacking trip through Central America... Um, I met some people in Guatemala. My parents said, of course, he's crazy. I flew down there for Christmas alone to spend a month backpacking Central America. And they're like, oh, it's dangerous. Why are you going? Why are you going? Yeah, I went. And at this time, I, I, I met a couple people. We traveled together down to Nicaragua. And at that point in my life, I wasn't traveling with any sort of credit cards or anything like this, just cash. And I always keep a hundred dollar bill inside of the sole of each of my boots so if i get robbed i have emergency cash and we were leaving this island to get on a ferry and lo and behold someone stole my shoes which had two hundred dollars inside of them so i literally had no money left but the girl i was with luckily she was she said like here here's twenty dollars this will get you back across honduras which was going through a military coup back across El Salvador, I slept in a police station, finally got to Guatemala, hadn't eaten or bathed or anything in three days, and I got to the hostel that I started at, and I was like, listen, I have no money, can I please use your internet? So I had to message my parents, say, you're right, mom and dad, I need your help, I need to fly home, I was robbed. And a bunch of people were in the hostel, and they could see I was, I was dirty, I was famished, and they're like, are you okay? And I thought, like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good. And they're like, are you sure? And I was just like, yeah, everything's good. And they cooked a big meal, um, and they offered me some food, and obviously they could tell I was starving because I scarfed down the food they made. And just finally ended up, they gave me beer, we got eating, talking. I told them, you know, the three days of hell I just had, um, trying to get back here safely. And... All of them were at the end of their backpacking trip, and that night when it, I woke up the next morning and they had all left and went to the airport, and on my bedstand was $200 with a note that said, keep going. And 
I never knew these people's names, never was able to thank them, but they collectively put all their extra money together and $200. So I messaged my parents and said, I swear it, I'm not coming home. And then I had the most amazing two weeks being so grateful, like going from the worst situation to the best situation where people helping people is just phenomenal. It was amazing. Damn. That's incredible. It was it was a life changer right there when I realized like, okay, so there's there's some bad people in the world, but there's a lot of damn good people in the world. And, you know, to pay it forward. Later that year I was in um, Kenya and this girl we were traveling with didn't have enough money to get to the airport and I just said, like, here's fifty dollars, get yourself back safely. Don't worry about paying me back. Um, and it was also nice because a few years ago in London, I met the girl that gave me $20 and I was able to buy her drinks and give her $20 back to her. <laughs> All comes around. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's awesome though. I mean, that's, yeah, to go from that, just having to admit to your parents, I was wrong, you were right. And yep. just having that, that feeling like, oh, I'm coming home, it's over. And just to have that totally shifted by the generosity of those people, that's that's incredible. Yeah. It didn't help me. That probably would have been the end of my backpacking career because I was you know, rock bottom. I was like, what kind of idiot travels the world, gets robbed? <laughs> like, this is not for me, not the life for me. And then total 360. And So, yeah, so with, with paying it forward and, uh, and, you know, having those people give you the the money and helping kind of save your backpacking career um and and being able to pass that on to the the girl later on and everything um is there any advice or tips that you've received on your travels that you would like to pass forward um certainly you just got to have faith in yourself and put some trust in complete strangers and things just will always work out. You can go from a, the worst of the worst and, you know, people helping people can 360 everything. So sometimes you just got to trust yourself and trust others. And so do you have any, uh, any sort of philosophy or, uh, or mantra you live by while while traveling, and has that changed throughout the years at all? Mm, it's basically always been the same. Just live in the moment and be a yes man, always. Um, maybe you don't want to do something, but you'll do it, and you'll have a good experience for it. And you always just got to be aware of your limits, but also push your limits. What are uh, in in what ways do you usually try to to push yourself and, and your limits? I mean, maybe I don't want to try this food, but I'm going to try this food because it's in front of me. Or maybe I don't feel comfortable going to this party, but I'm going to go and I'm going to have some drinks and have fun. Or you know, maybe I don't feel like I'm physically fit to climb Everest, but I'm going to give it a try. Um, you got to push yourself in any way. Is that, um, has there ever been anything where, like, or I guess what's been one of the more difficult areas that you've pushed yourself in? Like, uh, maybe you were, like, really, really adamant about not wanting to do it or really struggled with the decision, but 
um, having done it or looking back, you were really glad you did? Um, probably a good one would have been in the Amazon. Uh, I was traveling, I met a girl on one of the boats and we hung out and we stopped at one port and there was no boat for another week and I decided I was going to go way out into the forest and actually stay with the tribe. Um, I had to get a special permit and everything and the girl I was with said like there's no way I'm going, I'm staying here in the hotel and good luck and I ended up in the middle of the Amazon with a family living in a tribe and who spoke no English or Portuguese, just their native tongue, and it was uh, a bit awkward, but pushed through it and had a really, really life-changing experience being with those people in the middle of the Amazon that I almost said, no, I'm not going to go, it's too dangerous to do alone, or, yeah, I did it, pushed it, and it was amazing. What was, uh, you just stayed with them, and I guess what were you, like, doing each day when you were with them? Um, they, I was playing every day at sunset, I'd play soccer with all the local kids. Um, there was about, I think, 50 people that lived in this tribe. Um, during the daytime, I would just sit and read. The, the father would take me out into the forest and show me what things I could eat and where to find water and all that stuff. Um, it was just, yeah, it was a great learning experience, just seeing their everyday life, helping out with the, the farm animals, and learning what will kill you, what will not kill you in the Amazon, um, without having, with a total language barrier, but still got, got the concepts. That's insane. Like, how do they, uh, I, what part of the Amazon was that in? Do you remember? Like, is there any cities nearby, or, like, how do you even find that on a map? <laughs> um, you, you don't. Um, <laughs> I basically found found out from locals. I went to uh, the local um, government office because I needed to get a special permit to enter this region because it's protected region and protected peoples. And got this permit, and the next day they just said, you know, take this bus two hours and then once you get off, start walking. And so I did. And found them, no problem. And yeah, it was, I mean, definitely my balls grew pretty big with that trip where <laughs> I, uh, you know, I started walking through the Amazon to find a tribe that I didn't even know if they existed or not. And uh, ended up being really, really, really amazing experience. Great story. I learned a lot, pushed myself, and when I went back, um, the girl was still in the hotel waiting for me, and she was like, wow, you're alive, and I was like, you missed out on a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. With things like that and, and pushing yourself in these areas, um, do you, and having you know done that and other things throughout the years that have gotten you to a certain place, um, do you now try to seek out these sort of things or do you know you know this is something i may be a little bit more uncomfortable with or um an area that i'd like to improve in so do you seek out certain experiences or ways to push yourself or do you find they just kind of come naturally to you and you just kind of always keep an eye out for them and when they show up you go all right this is once in a lifetime i'm going for it yeah that's that's just it just 
opportunities come. I mean, if you stay at home, they're not going to come. If you got to go out, find them. And sometimes it might be a really random experience. And yeah, it's going to be once in a lifetime for sure. Like the wedding in Kyrgyzstan I was telling you about, like that was outside of my comfort zone, drinking and partying with these people in a small village that I've never met. Then I hitchhiked there. Um, but I decided like, yeah, okay, yes, let's give this a try. And ended up being a really another amazing experience. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that is definitely a once in a lifetime thing. <laughs> and, I mean, yeah, when, when will I ever have the chance? You always have to think, when will I ever be here again? When will I have this opportunity again? I probably won't. So got to go for it. Yeah. I think that's a, a good place to, uh, to kind of wrap up. Um, but is there anything else that um, I didn't ask or I didn't bring up that you would like to touch on or you feel is important to say? Mm, to anyone listening, get off the couch, get out there and explore. The world is big. An opportunity doesn't come for you. you got to go find it. Boom. There it is. <laughs> yep. Love it. Is it, uh, so what's, uh, what's coming up for you? What's your next few weeks look like if you have it planned? Um, just hanging out in Florida for the next week and then traveling. I'm doing, um, Atlanta, New Orleans, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, um, just doing city tours, visiting friends and family. And then hopefully flying down to South America and avoiding winter. <laughs> That's a good plan. <laughs> yeah. um, have you been to Austin before? No, this will be my first time there. Okay. Well, I lived there for the last year. Um, so if you need any uh, recommendations on restaurants or things to do, if you, uh, if you don't know anyone there, let me know. Yeah, absolutely. Always recommendations welcomed. Yeah, it's uh, that's a cool place. There's, I like living there a lot. But uh, like, like you said, had to get off the couch and go explore. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, what uh, is are the best platforms for anyone if they want to reach out to you or follow your journey or maybe just ask a follow up question? What would be the best way to get in contact with you? Um, email or drop a line on Facebook or Instagram or, um, yeah, that's it. I don't really, I don't have a phone number or anything <laughs> like this. I'm technologically advanced, but always glad to help any sort of traveler and shoot an email or Facebook message or whatever. Okay. Perfect. I will. Uh, I think I have both of those, or all of those. So I will link them in the show notes. And if anyone wants to to get access to that, just head to the at your comfort site in the show notes and uh, click on those links. Awesome. Um, sweet. And uh, wow. yeah, thank you so much for for hopping on with me today, man. I mean, this is you're definitely. Uh, an inspiration to try to explore and, and see more of the world. It's uh, incredible 
how many countries. Yeah, and this, this was a great, great refresher course for me, trying to remember of all these experiences. You know, sometimes you forget about all these amazing things that have happened. It's good to look back and reflect on it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, do you ever uh, like do a travel journal, or I guess yeah, how do you keep track of all your stuff? Um, I always have an actual notebook that I write in every day. Um, I used to do some blogging, but I got too lazy. And now I basically just throw my pictures up on Facebook and Instagram so my mom can like them all. <laughs> that's it. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, journaling's definitely a good idea. I need to start doing that a little bit more. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, like, uh, way to relax as well. Just sitting down, thinking about your day, um, writing everything from the, the mediocre things like, ooh, you know, I forgot to brush my teeth today to, oh, I just went skydiving and it was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. A great way to appreciate. Yeah. It's amazing how much you can forget in just a few weeks. Oh, yeah. And everything just kind of of bleeds together after that. Like, oh, where did did I do that again? Was it Australia? What? And yeah, it's it's a good record. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. All right. Well, hey, thanks again. Um, uh, definitely uh, reach out if you want any recommendations for Austin and uh, look forward to, to following your journey in the next few months and beyond. And uh, I'm sure All we'll right. stay in touch. And uh, I'll probably have some questions on places as well that I'll be heading to in the next few months. So, Awesome. Uh, yeah, look thanks again. To yeah, thank you so much. Cheers. Hey everyone, Lee here again real quick with the question of the episode, which is, while on the road, have you ever said yes to doing something that you weren't super excited about, but it ended up being an incredible experience that you still remember to this day? Leave your answers or your story in the comments section at the bottom of the blog post at edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP11. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you guys enjoyed hearing a bit about Jason's story today, and I look forward to reading your answers. Until next time.